She said, can you spit? I said, yeah. She said, well, your ass ain't thirsty. No, oh, that is the worst. That's the worst. And now I'm thirsty. Hold on a second. <laughs> Look, me too. Hey everybody, Trey Wingo here, and welcome into Season 4 of Half Forgotten History. We are excited to be back with you as football is back, and we've got so many more great stories to tell and great guests for you to listen to, including Episode 1 of Season 4, one of my favorite guys I enjoyed covering when he played. Pound for pound, probably the best wide receiver in the NFL when he was on the field. He didn't have size to work with, but he had heart and he had attitude. Ice up, son. I'm talking, of course, about longtime NFL wide receiver Steve Smith. We talk about his journey out of Utah to being a mainstay for the Carolina Panthers and then the final few years of his career with the Baltimore Ravens. That included one Sunday in Foxborough where he almost got into a major scrap with a former teammate. You're going to want to hear that story, trust me. So we're glad to be back with you for Season 4. Sit back and relax. And here now, Steve Smith, who now, of course, does great work for the NFL Network. So I guess the first thing I would ask you is how would you describe your career? Because I have a description of what I think of when I think of Steve Smith, the player, and I want to see if it jives with what you think of Steve Smith, the player. So how would you describe your career? That's a great question because um, well, sure. as, I'm, I, as I'm becoming older, I, I'm really looking at it and I have the pleasure to do analyst work. So, I really see it differently as an analyst, former player, less clickbait than I saw when I first retired. When I first retired, I saw it as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tough SOB. I never, you know, I never got a lot of credit. I never got this. I never got that, you know? Um, And then now I just kind of, I snicker, you know, when I'm doing, when I'm doing the draft and agents and analysts and player personnel folk are now trying to compare young guys to me, anytime somebody's below six feet, you know, below 5'10", all of a sudden there's a right. Steve Smith senior analogy. Right. And I go back and every year around the combine, I just go back and remind myself, about you know my when I when I tore my Achilles, my agent who's my agent throughout my whole career, he did something that he knew that I needed. He sent me my my um, my combine evaluation of my scouting report and how contradictory it was on the different information that was on there. Actually, let me read it to you. You got it. Oh, this is great. This is the video. For those listening, Steve just got out of his seat to go read it. He still has his yeah, motivation well, is, right this, here. This is my TV office. So I, 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 love got, it. I got to the left of me, people can't see. I have my NFL Network analyst cabinet, and it has my, 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 my uh, combine stuff, preparing yeah. for this, all that stuff. And so, and so it's a report, a 4 2 zero, zero, so 2000, class of 2001. And it says has individual quick uh, quickness, line release patterns, field awareness, separation, get open, receiver short, catch, catch slash hands slash body, 
react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-to-ball-react-
what you do well, minimize what you don't do well, and allow the defense to try to figure that out. Don't put it on a platter for them. Right. Right. Don't, don't, oh, he doesn't do this right. So we're going to, we're going to expose them, you know, but that's what happens for some coaches when you are coaching from a book, when you have learned a particular system, which makes you confident in your coaching ability. And then when you get a guy who doesn't fit that system to that system and you need to adjust it, you know, all of a sudden the players are bust and then you run him into the ground and he has to be out of the league so you don't be seen as a guy that didn't know what he was doing. Right. So with all that being said, Steve Smith's career, according to Steve Smith, was what? For me, it was, it was a career that uh, has it, had its ups and downs, but it was, it was one of those where whether people realize it or not, and, and I didn't do a good job helping it, but for me, my career was this, was, I was an entrepreneur. It was a, it was a startup. Yeah, and that's what I and I say that a startup meaning I had to have some good people around me, and I did, and then I also had to screw up, which I did, but then also I learned and I adapted and I pivoted, and um, and I was I was coachable even though I presented myself as very unculturable. I was I was very coachable. The reason I bring that up is I've always thought of your career in terms of boxing. And not because you fought a lot, which, we'll, which, which we can get into, but the point being, you know, the, the heavyweights always get all the attention, right? The 6'3", the Julio Joneses of the world, like the DeAndre Hopkins of the world, the guy who have all the physical attributes. But then there's the middleweight boxer that's always talked about this way. You know, pound for pound, he may be the best fighter in the game. So to me, when I look at Steve Smith, I go with the pound for pound analogy. Like pound for pound at 5'9", 190, whatever you were, I'm not sure there was a better, tougher receiver in football than when you played. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I, I enjoyed playing. Um, one of the things I realized as I've gotten older, you know, I'm, I'm very much, I enjoy and I need competition, right? Yeah. I, am in, I am enamored, infatuated with competition. And so anything that has something that where I can be competitive I'm all in. Yeah. Well, that was clearly on display your entire career, which started, as you said, in public school, university, high school in Los Angeles, where you not only uh, did well in football, but you were a high school hurdler and the triple jump. So you had you had it all going for you. But you started your college career at Santa Monica College. Now, let me just say this. If you're going someplace to play Juco, Santa Monica ain't bad. That's their worst places to be than Santa Monica, California. Those worst places, uh, uh, West LA, uh, Southwest. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. All all of our competitors. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing people might not remember about you is you were one starting receiver at Santa Monica, and the other starting receiver there at the same time was Chad Ochocinco. That's a lot of personality in the wide receiver room at JUCO. It, it was, it, but the, here's the thing: it was a lot of personality on that team, yeah. right? You know, I think the, the 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 two guys that came out of it is me and Chad, but there were a lot of other guys that were personalities. There was Anthony Cephas, who actually played with uh, Isaac Keen, that ended up playing with the St. Louis and the Los Angeles Rams. Right. Um, 
you know, he went to Fairfax High School. Then there was a guy, Demetrius Posey, which is the reason I went to Utah, because he was like the big brother. And actually, Chad was behind Demetrius, and I played in the slot. Um, so there was a lot of players. Our quarterback, uh, Dylan Smith, uh, ended up playing quarterback at Kansas. So there was a ton of players um, that ended up playing well at a lot of different places. Um, and Chad, me and Chad were one of those guys, but, you know, really the guy that was – who passed away, that was the guy that really anchored everything was uh, Coach Taylor. He was there from 1979 till uh, actually 1977 as assistant and then became head coach in the 80s. Uh, coach Isaac, um, um, Isaac Bruce, um, yep. and then also me and Chad and a, num a, a plethora of other players. Uh, he was always there. And he coached us until he died, I think, believe, into like 20, uh, 2008. Um, and so he was always about challenging us. He was always about, you know, this, this could be a pit stop, but if you do it right or, you know, you can get out of here. So mm -hmm. he, he was a guy that always, to some degree, kept us very much accountable. What was it like, though? Take us through, I mean, like, did you and Chad know, hey, you know, how soon did you think or did you that, hey, you know, we both have a shot here at, uh, at playing somewhere at the next level? We both all, we both, all, everyone there had their, their dreams. And right. with me and Chad, you got a, East, uh, a, a down south guy, a west coast guy, um, two knuckleheads. And you got their dreams in a very nice way, in a very in a very lovingly well, knucklehead way. Well, I say knuckleheads is you, you're 19, 20 years old, and you yeah. aren't. You're just like any other 20 year old. You believe the world yeah. revolves around you, right? right? Yeah, it's a knucklehead, yeah. right? I, I didn't say you know convicted felon. I just said knucklehead. <laughs> yeah. you know? And so we just kind of we were living our lives, living our dreams out in front of everybody and our dreams were bumping up against each other at times because I was yeah. a charismatic wide receiver. He was a charismatic wide receiver. We both wanted to display our athleticism to get the heck on to the next level of a division one scholarship. You, you, you add the, you add the, um, the inner city, you add the, the, the lack of funds, Man, you know, you just you talk about two guys with um, no nickels to rub together, but uh, somewhere to trying to go somewhere. So that yeah. that was challenging at times. Yeah. So that sent you to Utah, as you said, where you went with one of your teammates, and then uh, the Panthers made you the third. Uh, you were a seventy fourth overall pick in the two thousand draft in the third round. What did it mean for you to be drafted? Like, was that a goal, or were you just hopeful? So I was hopeful to be drafted. And then here's what a knucklehead is in me. Then I'm pissed because I, 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 I didn't get drafted as early as I, as I wanted to. But I wasn't like some of these young guys where I'm like, oh, you were, you, you know, you drafted three mistakes before me. You know, it, yeah. it was like, look, I'm going out there. I, I, you know, I don't know what they have in, in store for me, but I know what I got in store for them. And so I went yeah. out there. Um, I went out there very impatient, ready to play. Um, didn't know where North Carolina was. Uh, really wasn't interested in, you know, figuring it out. All I just know is uh, I was getting on the plane to go out there and take some folks' jobs and embarrass some folks. And that's all I really cared about. So when I hit the ground running, I hit the ground with 
very little of other people's feelings in mind. Yeah. You know, I um, I wore seven in college, and Musan, my big brother, Musan Muhammad, was eighty-seven. I didn't want eighty-nine because of the that was Ray Caruso's number when he got in trouble. Right. And I'm like, man. And so I get in there, and as soon as I get there, eighty-nine is there. I'm like. <laughs> that would be a bad number considering everything that went on and you know just show you how ignorant i was man and, and ignorant is lack of knowledge man i brought my utah cleats yeah. right so i didn't know if they was gonna give me cleats so i brought my cleats you know i'm a football player you, you bring your own stuff I, I came from junior college you don't you don't go to play ball without having your stuff comfortable so they say you can't wear these i'm like well so they give me some some other cliques that I didn't want because they were brand new. They So then I asked Moose. And so one of the guys was like, man, you know, ask Moose if he give me his number. And I'm like, hey, Moose, you know, you 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 you, you want to give up 87? And he told me to go kick rocks. So that didn't go well. But, you know, I didn't care. That's the number I wanted. I didn't yeah. want this 89. And probably about 10 minutes after that, co Coach uh, George Seifert turns around. I turn around. He's in my face. And he goes, hey. You know, we drafted you. And I'm like, yeah, don't, don't fuck this up for me. <laughs> and walked off. And I'm like, right? And so from there, I went into mini camp. I'm on this team, and, you know, they just kind of saw me as a returner. Man, I'm going yep. against these dudes in practice. And then I leave pissed because – you know, they had a guy that they drafted a couple of years before a first-round corner. I think his name was Rashad Anderson. They had some other guys that were corners that they drafted a, year, a couple of years before me. And I'm like, so I get in the third round, and this is a first-round draft pick? And so yeah. I just went in there like, look, all these bum-ass dudes they got, you know. And so it just, just – that's kind of how it went. Well, what's interesting, too, because that 2001, your first year, the 2001 Carolina Panthers, people forget. You guys won the first week of the season. You went 1-0, and then you proceeded to lose the next 15 games. Which, by the way, I, I, I think that's almost worse than going 0-16. Because yes. if you start 1-0, you have hope, and then it's just beaten out of you over the next 15 games. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> what was that like? What was the level of frustration like, especially your rookie year when you think you're better than some of these other guys that are playing and you're sort of in a limited role and you drop 15 in a row? Well, that's where it went up and down. You know, that's what yeah. we dropped 15 in a row. Um, I wasn't really allowed to play wide receiver. I was just, I just was told I was going to be a returner. And so that kind of, I was on that roller coaster. I would come to the wide receiver meeting room with a big ass bat, a box of cereal, and I would just eat cereal in the meeting. Like, <laughs> I'm just a returner, right? And so I had that kind of like, you know, that, like I said, that knucklehead, that kind of like, man, y'all don't care about me, so fuck it. Let me know when yeah. the special teams is up, right? Yeah. And so I'm eating cereal in the meetings. Then they kick me out and tell me I can't bring cereal in the meetings, right? Um, and then I finally get to start against the New England Patriots. It's my last game, the last game of the season. And they say, you're going to start. But Patrick Jeffries is going to run out of the tunnel. Why? 
Because I was the disruptive rookie who needed to be taught a lesson. How, how did that sit with you? <clears throat> you know, Patrick, go look up Carolina Panthers and see where Patrick Jeffrey is on the stat book, and that'll let you know how I felt about it. Yeah, that had to be a tough one. It was more of, it just kind of, it already fed that, right? It already fed, they don't, they don't really believe in me on paper. They don't really believe me on in this. All right. So I kind of was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this my way. And so I actually, in that off season, I had a meeting with Mark Richardson, the, the president at the time, who's a good friend of mine still. Right. And I wanted to change my number. Um, I also wanted to switch because we are done. I wanted to switch to running back. And I gained a little weight because I just felt like I wasn't going to play wide receiver. And I just, you know, I did like anybody else. I, you know, I was, I was looking for an air pocket. So I wanted to just start over and I had lunch with Mark Richardson. I told him that I didn't want that number anymore. And why'd y'all give me this? You know, if I'm being honest, this murderer's number. Yeah. Um, he was from, you know, he was from, he was from the West coast, light skin. Like I didn't want that association. I had gotten, you know, I had had some troubles and, and so after that, you know, Mark sat me down and said, listen, after Ray had that number, we've given that number to everybody who we felt was a stopgap. And we felt, we hoped that you can change that number. That's why we gave it to you. And so if you want to change it, sleep on it, think about it for a week. Um, at that time, me and God were not on the same page, so he didn't say pray. I, it, yeah. it, it would have so he, I thought about it and I was like, all right, you know, and I told some of my family member, told my wife what, what he said. And after that lunch, I was like, all right. And so I went in there and ever since, that's why I kept the number. That's why I kind of stayed with it. And then I just went in there and said, you know, basically everything about the Carolina Panthers, you know, as Patrick Jeffrey, Musa Muhammad, Tim Biakabatuka, this guy, that guy, I'm going to race all those. And I'm be the best player. I'm be the franchise player. And I made that commitment about February 20, uh, 2002, 2003. I hired a um, I hired a golf coach who was a mental guy, a, a sports yep. psychologist. And from there, man, I, I had short term, long term goals, daily goals. And I just went into it and I said, everybody that's in front of me, Musin, Donald Hayes, Patrick Jeffries, Isaac Bruce, all these guys, honestly. Fuck them. Yeah. And so I went in there and I said, the only wide receiver, I want to be the franchise wide receiver and everything that these guys will be, I want to erase them off the statistical categories of wide receiver. And from there, that's how I approached it. And so I didn't, I didn't care to be friends with anybody. I didn't want to be a friend. I didn't care to be a friend. I didn't give a fuck what you thought about me. My goal was to go around you, through you, do what I need to do, obviously make money for my family and sit back to where when I'm sitting down, I look at my career. If I got fired, I always said I would never be one of those. And I call them poop butts. Never be one of those guys that sit back and says, man, I should have did this. I was like, right. if I'm going to sit back, I'm going to say, if, that, if I get fired, I'm going to get fired my way. And that's how I kind of took it. And now that I'm older, I kind of realize I probably shouldn't have did it that way. But then it's allowed me to, now that I come 
TV and some of that stuff at a different approach, it, it actually softens people. They're like, well, he isn't as crazy as we thought. Well, it, it clearly worked for you. So let's take a quick break and we'll talk about the acceleration of your career and when you did do all those things you said you were going to do and erase all those guys out of the record book. We're right back on Half Forgotten History with Steve Smith. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Bourbon Time. Even if you don't have the traditional nine to five schedule, there's no denying that this past year has changed the way that work and rest intersect. Without a designated office to come home from, we're missing that natural break in our days. And our friends at Maker's Mark recognize this phenomenon and wanna help us out a little bit. Beat the burnout and start blocking off the hour of six to 7 p.m. as your me time when you do what you love for you and only you. For me, I like to sit back with a nice drink of Maker's Mark over some ice. And what I love about Maker's Mark is it's so smooth. There's no bitterness and it's silky, kind of like all of Ron Burgundy's ties. It's fantastic. So let's make the idea of bourbon time a reality. Join me in reclaiming 6 to 7 p.m. as the happiest hour so you can do whatever it is that makes you happy. And if it involves a glass of bourbon, remember to drink Maker's Mark responsibly. Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol by volume, copyright 2021, Maker's Mark Distillery Incorporated, Loretto, Kentucky. All right, back with Steve Smith on Half Forgotten History. When we last left, uh, you had just decided you were going to make a commitment to erase everybody from the Carolina Panthers receiving records book, which you would go on to do. But when did you know? Like, when did you take the plan, like you said, short-term, long-term, and put it in action? When did you know it was working? Is there a specific game, a specific play, a specific moment where you said, I'm going to do this? You know, this may sound cliche and people think that, but... I knew this plan was set for me when someone in my family told me, when your ass fell out of college, don't bring your ass back here. Yeah. And that was right before that was right before that individual kicked me out of their house and I had to go live with another family member two weeks before I had to go off to Utah. So for me, this was my only plan. So for for me, this was I was always been playing with house money so I I never said this is what it is it was always I would do whatever it took to get where I needed to go and do it at with other lengths and so by the time heading into my second year I kind of knew I I, I kind of started to figure out what I needed to do I hired a you know like I said a sports psychologist I had a trainer um I quit um I quit working out with the team um, I didn't. I didn't do off-season conditioning with the team. I didn't do off-season. Um, they had Coach Fox came in. They have uh, they had testing, and we would have to do bench and do forties and vertical and all that stuff. And so I was, you know, I was a I was a dick. So one time, <laughs> the first time we came in, we had to do bench two twenty-five, two fifteen, yeah. and you had to bench as many times as you can. So the first time I came in, I benched it five times. So yeah. the next year I came in, I benched it. I got to five and I said, how many did I do last year? They said five. I did six, put on a rack and told them, fuck you, I'm out. But I did that to prove a point because I knew when I come in, they would make me test and make sure I had no room for error. So then because I never came to all season conditioning, they had where you had a, a, a conditioning test at the end of OTAs. Right. And if you came, you have four. If you didn't, you have five or six. So as a team, we would run the four. 
But whoever didn't come, which was me most of the time, I had to do the extra one. So we had our time to do, but always saved a little bit of energy. So when I had to do the fifth one by myself, the team will watch me. Oh, yeah. So whatever my time was, so say we had to do a full gasser at 30, bro, I would come in at 26, the last one, and I would flick off the strength coach the whole time. <laughs> I'm passing it. And my goal was whatever y'all think y'all can do or how you can break me, yeah. I've already prepared for it and I am unbreakable. Yeah. And so I would always do that. And then they gave me a, a workout bonus to come to the team. Workout. I, if they ever asked me to restructure, I would say, take my workout bonus that I will never get as my restructure. So I never restructured and I never came off season condition. Well, it's funny though. Like all the great ones find something to motivate them, find something to keep them going. And clearly those kind of things are what fueled your fire. Like to me, Everyone had, like, I remember watching the first couple of years of NFL Live, but to me, the coming out party for you was the divisional game in the, in the playoffs that year against the Rams when you caught the 69 yard touchdown uh, to seal the game that eventually led you guys to Super Bowl 39 against the Patriots. Did that, for you, was that like the play where you put yourself on the map? It was the Dallas game, actually. Oh, really? Before, because Dallas had beat the brakes off, off of us earlier that year. Yeah. And and so we had that playoff game down there and Terrence Newman, who's a good friend, uh, he was a rookie. And so I was just going in on him and I just started, you know, we were running plays and I was just looking at Jake like, yo, you didn't throw me the ball last time. That's why we lost. We came in. Dan Henney was the head coach, was the offense coordinator. We came in at halftime. Yeah. And he said, Steve, what do you think you could beat the guy on the first time? And I looked at him and I said, throw me the effing ball. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I won't ask him that ever again. And so when we played them that game, we played them that game, if you go back and look, that yeah. first pass I got against Dallas, I played, I played upset because I was like, man, this is what I can do. This is when you said that I'm inconsistent. This is marginal. You know, I run marginal cut mechanics, inconsistent, never does the same thing twice. And so I utilize all of that information. And, I, and, I, and, I, and my trainer, and that's all we did, we worked on everything they said I didn't do. And so I started to create, that's where my, my entrepreneur, I started to look at what they deemed as my weaknesses, and I started working on it. Yeah. So you, you said I can't count, I'm going work on my, I'm work on my numbers. Yeah. You know, he said, I can't do this. And, and, and I started lifting and I started uh, training in a way that was all based on what they said I, I did not do very well. Yeah. And uh, you turned that into over a thousand career catches and almost 15,000 receiving yards. Um, one of the things that I think was most interesting about your career is you were, as, as we alluded to, not the biggest guy out there, five, nine, something else. But it felt like you were better at high pointing the ball when you were at your peak than almost anyone. Like, you found a way to play like you were 6'3", even though you were 5'9". Well, I, I mean, I, I, was, I ran track. I ran hurdles. Yeah. I did high jump. I did long jump. Um, you know, I played a lot of different sports growing up. I played basketball. And I was dunking the basketball my freshman year in high school. Um, 
I, I was able to do a lot of things. I just didn't have the, I just didn't have the height. You talk about six, three, I have this joke with my kids. Cause they all, you know, I'm, I'm the professional football player that, you know, the kids be like, Oh yeah. Don't be one of those dads that what you used to, right. You used to do. And I, and they always, yeah. I used to always say, man, I've always played bigger. And so, you know, we do the, all the measuring. And so one day they were like, well, let's measure you dad. And so they measure me and actually because of my arms, my wingspan is actually six three. There you go. Right. And so for me, it's just I just never had the height. You know, I just, yeah. I, I just had everything else. You did. And the thing that I loved about your career is it never like your persona on the field never changed. Like there, there was a fighter in you. I mean, people forget you got kicked out of a preseason game. For getting into it with a defensive back. It, most people do not get that heated in a preseason game. You and Chris Culliver found a way to get into it in a preseason game that got you guys ejected. I, yeah, I was with Baltimore. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 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 It's uh man, I that's just that 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 was the way. You're a fighter. My mom told me one time, um, if you if you give if you come home crying because you got beat up, yeah. you're gonna get your ass whooped. Yeah. And like, that's not what you tell a kid though. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's How true. Whooping for getting beat up. Yeah. And so, you know, my mom was tough on me. My mom, you know, uh, my dad picked me up on the weekends, but my mom was, sing you know, single mom during the week. And when you're a single mom in the, in, in, in the, in the eighties and nineties, um, she had me when she was 17 years old. You have no time for empathy. You have no right. time. Oh, you know, little Stephon, you got a boo boo, huh? And it it yeah. was, hey, you know, are you are you is it is it is it bleeding? Yeah, is it bad? Can you move it? Yeah, then you're good. One time, my mom told me this, and it was terrible. One time, we were somewhere we didn't have a lot of money, and I said I was thirsty. You ready, Trey? You ready for yeah. this? She said, can you spit? I said, yeah. She said, well, your ass ain't thirsty. Well, that is the worst. That's the worst. That's what tough love. That? That's no, tough love. have to do with being parched. And now I'm thirsty. Hold on a second. <laughs> Look, me too. Just telling me, telling me that story made me thirsty. Oh, but that, but that explains so much, right? It explains uh, the ice up thing with Aqib Tlaib after the Monday night game. Like, you know, it, it, it provided you with that ultimate, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be better than you. Yeah, like, but when I think about it as a dad, man, I'm like, that's yeah. like, yeah. she even told my daughter, who's 20 now, yeah. she was over at the house when my daughter was eight years old. Eight years old. And my daughter's tattling, she's telling on her older brother. Yeah. And my mom tells my eight-year-old daughter at the time. You know, she, 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 she still lives in California, right? Yeah. Um, and she says, you know what, BJ? She goes, yes, Grandma. You know what they say about tattletelling? She goes, no. She says, snitches get stitches. She told my eight-year-old daughter, snitches get stitches. That's harsh, man. That's well, harsh. Terrible. Yeah. That, you know what that is? That's child abuse in 2021 yeah. right now. That is child oh. abuse. Where's DHS? Oh my gosh! Yeah, not <laughs> to say I don't know how deep we want to go into this, but one of my one of my favorite stories about you, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's great. But 
when you guys were playing the Patriots and you thought that your former teammate Jermaine Wiggins had said some things about you that you didn't like, like you went after him in the in the tunnel after the game. So here's here's that story. I didn't go after him. See, that's the that is the BS story that came out. Okay, so let's let's shoot it straight then. So let's. Well, I don't have a problem shooting it straight. I, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I do. I agree. So he has said some things, and I used to have Wiggins telephone number yeah so after we lost i'm over there talking to brandon lafell a former yeah. teammate Correct. and i see out of my corner of my eye wiggins so i tell fell i say hey let me uh hold on dog i gotta go talk to somebody so i walk over there to wiggins and i don't loud talk yeah i say hey bro why'd you say what you said he's like man you know it's true i said listen bro well, to be clear, what Wiggins has said, he thought you were a bad teammate, right? He said right. that, yeah, which is said. like the ultimate disrespect, right? It is, really. It really is. Right, because there's things in a locker room that all men do say and act that if we all threw it out there, you don't want that. Correct. And, and when you're having a good year, there's some banter and there's some things that go on that the, the regular outside world would find it very cruel. Correct. Right. There are no boundaries in the locker room. There is no boundaries, right? And so, again, if I'm a terrible teammate that you don't want to be involved with, I mean, why do you have my number and I have your number? Correct. Because there's some teammates I don't mess with. I don't, they don't have my number and I don't have their number. Like, never had them, vice versa. So, I said, like, bro, don't. I said, you know I don't fool with you no more. I was like, I'm just, I, you know, and I'm all about, confronting people eye to eye. Right. So there's no yeah. ambiguity. I want you to know how I feel about you and you tell me how you feel about me. So, and I don't want to hear it through some podcast or somewhere else. I want to hear it yeah. from Mr. Ed, the horse's mouth. Right. So, you know, actually I said, you know, I don't fuck with you no more. He was like, bro, what are you talking about? It's like what you said, man. I said, that was real sideways. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna let you chill, bro. Next time, you know, we're going to have problems. And so he was like, he said something to the effect and was like, you know, I'm around my family. And I didn't know that was his kids. Right. And I'm like, well, my bad. So then I walk away and then he starts to loud talk. As you're walking away. As I'm walking away. You ain't going to effing cuss me out in front of my kids. And I'm, and I'm a straight up dude. I didn't know that was your kids. And I said this to him, but your kids can watch you get your ass whooped though if that's what you do. <laughs> and for people that don't know who Jermaine Wiggins is, he's essentially a refrigerator with arms. He's a tight end that played for a bunch. He, he must have had 80, 90 pounds on you. I, that, I said that. And then that's when he started that Boston getting loud. Right. Let uh, holding him back and blah, blah, blah. And then he had it. I didn't understand. I didn't know his co-host of the radio show was with him. And right. that guy was like, man, I'll blankety blank. I'll do this. And I said, listen, after I put Wiggins to sleep, I will turn your he had a suit on. I said, bro, I will turn your I will take your suit off you and put it back on your body inside out. <laughs> and so he's like, man, we going to blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen. And I and I and I said it foolishly when I was young. I said, "Listen, you get your boys, you get you get your boys. I get my boys, and we'll decide. We'll we'll let our our folks figure out 
who sin and who flowers to wear. Yeah. And basically I was like, what up? Whatever. So they end up breaking it up. And then he goes on there and says, I attacked them. And I right. tried to, I don't try. I told him how I felt. I told him where I stood. And then he proceeded to loud talk. I loud talk on the field to a certain point, And then I start to say in my mind, I'm done with all this talking. I believe it and I say it on I say it I say it on TV. I have always been down. Now I'm 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 taking a step back. I've always been okay with a fist fight in a phone booth. Yeah. Because that's the way I grew up. And so now, now that I'm older, I kind of like I don't need that in my life because at some point someone's gonna have to end how this is gonna happen. And I'm I'm betting on me, I know how I want to end things. And I want to end things the way where I don't have to worry about when I go to the store, if you're going to be waiting in my driveway, if you get what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. And I don't want that. And I want to be a good example for my fans, be a good example for the Lord, be a good example um, that I have, my wife has respect and honor to kiss me with my, with her mouth on this mouth. And I don't have anything to be, try not to have anything intentionally that I'm ashamed of. Yeah. And so with Wiggins, I've, you know, I've worked NFL Network. I've done Radio Row, and it's always interesting. I walk past them every time, and I look for eye contact. He's looking everywhere else? Because at the end of it, I'm going to do my job, bro. Yeah. And I, I don't have anything to hide. I don't have no beef with Wiggins. But when we talk about Jermaine or we talk about other stuff, I put Jermaine in the same category that my grandpa used to do, which is my grandpa, who I love and I honor, used to love minced meat pie. I don't fool with minced meat pie. And Jermaine Witness is mixed meat pie. And so I'll, and, you know, some folks like it, some folks don't. I'm not saying that whoever he is, yes, he has Super Bowl rings. Yes, he has this. Yes, he has that. He's a man that I will honor and respect. But at the end of it, I think it's best for the Wiggins family and the Smith family that I do my job, stay in my lane, because if I get out of my lane and that old guy comes back, all I want to know is what color do your family want your bouquet to be? <laughs> So we will, we will move on from this lane. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the favorite things that happened in Steve Smith's career and a couple of questions about what will happen in the 2021 season. Stay with us. We're coming right back. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Starbucks Triple Shot Energy Extra Strength Coffee Beverage in a Can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink, offered in classic flavors, and now in zero sugar. They have four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and caramel. And now also offering two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. Both are zero sugar and dairy free. What gives you your energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. Back with uh, one of my favorite players to cover, Steve Smith, who now does a great job for the NFL Network. So let, let's, put some, let's put some ribbons on your career. What, is there a play or a moment that you're more proud of than anything else when you played? Is there something like, yeah, that was me. This, someone says, what is Steve Smith? It was that play. Well, there's a lot of plays, man, I really love. Um, 
I mean, there's some stuff, man, that, that, that I did. You know, I always loved blocking. Yeah. I, I loved um, – there were times where I would, I would just go up against guys and I, and I just would know that I had a guy. Yeah. And you could wear them you out. Know, um, I can wear them out. Um, there was a play that it, – it, it was when I was in Baltimore – that um, I was playing against a player and I was lined up in the I was lined up in a tight formation. I had to go what they call force. I had to go hit the safety. Yep. And so I go down there and I hit him and he'd be like, "Hey, he's like Smitty, just let you know, man. All day now, all day." I said, "Okay, I'm, that's what I'm talking about." <laughs> that's the worst thing you can say to you. I said yes, that's what I need, right? Um, and man, and so a couple of plays later. Same thing. Pow. And he hit. And then this is when I – this is probably about five or six plays. So, we're talking about the first 20 plays within the game. So, I'm lined up. And um, I, I get down on my stance and I look at him. And I don't look at him like, like that. Like, I look at him like – Yes, yeah. I have to get you. You know what he does? Looks at me and then he looks away. <laughs> you had him right there. I had him, but you know what I had? You know, some people you say I had him. What do you think I had him on? You're gonna block him, right? Yeah, but what do you think? What do you What do you think he's thinking? Um, I want to get think away. I from think him. I'm. What do you think? I think he's thinking that he wants no part of it. Exactly. Yeah, he's tapping out. Yes. Yeah. So now, even when it's not my play, I would tell Marshall Yonder or like if he came down and re-identified, came down as like a, a middle linebacker and they slid and, and they would slide, I, we would get in the huddle and the pulling guard or the tackle, whoever had him or the fullback, I would tell him, nah, that's my guy. Yeah. Go get somebody else. All right. Um, best teammate, uh, best teammate you ever had? Man, in Carolina, it was a number of guys. Moose and Ricky Pro, uh, Brinson Buckner. Um, his name is uh, Stephen Davis. I'll call him Radio because um, yeah. he's from uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Spartan. Absolutely. Number 48. Um, yep. Uh, man, there's a ton. One of, one of the guys who was a, a great mentor to me, um, John Casey, the kicker, um, yeah. he actually taught me finance. Um, then in Baltimore, it was Sizz, uh, Justin Forsett. Me and him are really still good friends right now. Um, Anthony Levine. Uh, it, 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 you know, over my career, there's a number of guys that when I get when I sit down and I think about it, they just trigger a lot of great things in me that that like, I still talk to those guys today. Like Brandon LaFell literally texted me the other day. Um, I used to always uh, still talk to Tory Smith. When I retired, I texted the guys that I played with because they were like, you ain't going, you're not going to play. And I made a trip on purpose when I retired and we were in Hawaii. And so I, while they were in training camp, I took a picture of them, of the Hawaii skyline and said, I told y'all boys, while you in training camp, I'll be on the beach. 
<laughs> I can respect that flex, having gone to Hawaii for the last couple of uh, decades. Uh, teammate that was the biggest freak show of all time. Like you couldn't believe what he could do athletically. Julius Peppers. That's what I figured you'd say. C.J. Mosley was pretty impressive. Really? A silent assassin, to be honest. Yeah. I, listen, I loved watching him play when he was healthy. I loved that guy. Uh, Marshall Yonder. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a Hall of Fame guy. Haloti Nada for for a guy that big and what he was able to do. Yeah. And then I have to shout him out because I'm just be honest. I've never met another black guy named Elvis, so I got to go with Elvis Dumerville. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I I gotta say I don't. I think you might be right. I don't think I know another brother named Elvis as well. Um, all right. A lot of people are wondering what Cam Newton has left. You played with Cam Newton. You saw him when he was at his best. Obviously, last year was a wash because he got COVID, and then he had no offseason, and then some of the best players for the Patriots got hurt. What do you think are realistic expectations for Cam in 2021 in New England? Well, I think it's, it, it, that is a great question. It really, for me, looking at the New England Patriots, what kind of offense are they going to run? Are they gonna yeah. are they gonna settle in on an RPO game? Are they gonna do traditional? And, and whichever way they go, you know, he's he's he Cam has prevailed league MVP. He's had outstanding numbers, national championship, Heisman Trophy in the RPO game. Yeah, but the RPO game has not really been a staple for the New England Patriots because of obviously a non-RPO type of quarterback in Tom Brady prior to him going to Tampa Bay. Now with them getting Matt Jones, is that an emphasis that they're kind of settling in on returning back to the RPO game? Yeah. I, I don't really know, but I, I think the fact that they only signed him back to another one-year deal, um, you know, is, is one of those we all love to do it until it doesn't work out, which is when you bet on yourself and, you, you know, you got to prove it deal. Yeah. Uh, but if history tells us anything about athletes, you can't shortchange them and you can't put them in a box and they will turn what you believe can't be, can't happen into the, into the possible. So I, I can see him doing great things or I can see it not working out. I don't, I don't really know. We don't know. Well, it's interesting. You're right, because Mac Jones and Cam Newton aren't running the same offense. Like those, They're, they're going to be two different offenses in what utilize their skill sets. That's 100% correct. Um, since you did finish up with over 1,000 receptions and almost 15,000 receiving yards, what do you make of the height debate over Devontae Smith? Some people are concerned about his height and what his production will be at the next level. It's valid. You know, if he, it, it, I, think, I think weight and height has to do with has a val it's a valid point if those things have played into that into that perception with the injuries and yeah. he's had some injuries yeah. um, also too the the athleticism of corners have really changed you look at Jalen Ramsey he's a physical corner so if you have a guy who's 160 pounds and he's going against a guy who's 6'2 220 and Good gets jammed up he has to be able to work that out. Now, you're not going to improve that in the weight room necessarily, but you could get in the weight room and get your short distance striking um, strength up. 
But then you also got to get those quick feet. And so if he can get off the line, get off the jam, then height is an issue. But what's going to happen is if all the concerns become reality, he unfortunately will cause people to say, see, you can't do this because height was always an issue for shorter wide receivers until enough shorter wide receivers said that isn't a concern. So that's the only difference that I would say. If if his production – lacks based off the concerns, then that's going to become a real narrative. Well, it's like the same thing with quarterbacks. You know, suddenly we're seeing Baker Mayfield and, and uh, Kyler Murray go first overall when Russell Wilson had to wait until the third round because he was under six feet tall. All right, listen, uh, we've taken up enough of your time, but I just want to leave people with this. The thing you find out about people when you have major changes in your life. And I've always said what surprises you is the people you hear from and maybe sometimes, more importantly, the people that you don't. Uh, I, I, we've always enjoyed conversations together, and, and it's, it's been great. But when I went through a major life change not too long ago, one of the first people to call me was Steve Smith. And I picked up the phone, and I saw it was your number, and I, I'll never forget the first thing you said. said, I'm just calling to see if you're okay. And I was fine, but I was surprised that you were one of the first people to reach out. So you always find out who's real and who isn't when things aren't going so well for you. So know that that meant a lot to me when you did it, and it verified how I felt about you from 15 years ago. Well, as long as you don't go back to Hawaii and someone steals your phone number again, <laughs> that is true. I, he was texting me, and someone did steal my phone in Hawaii. And I, he was like, man, why aren't you returning my text? So I had to reconnect through that. Listen, you've always been a real one. I've always enjoyed watching you play. You're doing a great job on the NFL Network. Uh, thanks for being part of this uh, for the show today. And uh, just uh, keep being you, all right? Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Steve Smith for joining us. We wish him the best this season as he covers the NFL for the NFL Network. And again, the Jermaine Wiggins story. Can't hear it enough. But coming up next, a special bonus episode with my friend Matt Rule, head coach of the Carolina Panthers. What it was like going through the first COVID season in NFL history as a first-year head coach and how he's dealing with that still going into the 2021 season with so many issues and questions and concerns from players about the vaccines. That's next on a special bonus episode of Half Forgotten History with Matt Rule.